look at Mark chapter 13. Now, let me give a little context here. Mark 13 is what's known as an Olivet Discourse. The most of this teaching happens with Jesus and his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And uh, it's after they've been in Jerusalem together. And uh, it's what's known in the Gospels as the mini-apocalypse because it has a lot of similarities to what we know in biblical literature as apocalyptic literature. Daniel has apocalyptic end times literature. Uh, Revelation is what most of us think about when we think about apocalyptic literature. Well, there's a little bit of that here going on in Mark chapter 13. So, I'm going to read the first eight verses, and we're going to jump to verse 32 and finish with the last five verses. This is what we read. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end will still, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. Now to verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. When he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we ask your blessing here on the, the reading of your word. We ask your blessing on these moments that we share ask your blessing on this time of worship, that we would be filled by your spirit, you would speak your truth to us, and that we would then be challenged to live in faithfulness to your call. We pray these moments are yours, inspired by your spirit, and may they be pleasing to you. In Christ's holy name, amen. So the term you've probably heard, I assume that you've heard, need to know. You are on a need-to-know, in fact, often it's a need-to-know basis. And the, the phrase that, that often follows, you're on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. Uh, it, it's, I think the best I can tell you, it, it's, it's kind of a military term. It came out of a military context where the idea was in the chain of command, uh, the, the flow of information got tighter and tighter as it moved down. That there were some things that at certain levels, you know, commanders or soldiers didn't, didn't, wasn't pertinent to what they were called and, and tasked to do. So, so it was a need to know basis. But it, it, it flows out in any number of ways. I was, uh, came across an article. They were talking about the, the men and women that engrave um, the plates that they use to make currency, that the government uses to, to print money. 
And when those plates are engraved, no single engraver gets to do the entire plate. They get portions of it so that no engraver has all that information and is tempted to do anything illegal, unethical, immoral with that or to sell it or to create um, their, own, their own stack of money, so to speak, to forge, forge money. So, so it's a need to know. And so they, they feel it's better, it's safer if people only know um, a portion. Parents, we do this with our children. We're raising our kids as they're growing up. There are things that we know they don't need to know, events or information that just they're not ready to process at whatever age they may be. So we filter information for them. Uh, we do it to each other. There's things that you don't tell the people you care about most. You just, you don't for whatever reason. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I remember when Tony and I were dating, and I was learning about her family. I learned that her family operates very much on a need-to-know basis, which means they keep secrets from each other all over the place. And one of the great stories that they tell, Antonio tells the story better than, than I do, but when um, my sister-in-law, Terry, her sister was, what, 14? Maybe 14, maybe not even. I guess her mom, and I don't know, all, I can't remember all the details, gave her the keys and asked her to back the car out of the garage. Why she did that to a 12 or 13-year-old or however she was, but she did. And so Terry got in the car, and she went to put it in reverse, and instead of putting it in reverse, she put it in drive. And she drove into the garage, big hole in the garage. Well, they decided, Tony's mother and probably her sister as well, decided this was a need-to-know basis for her father my father-in-law, Wayne. So they covered it up. They covered it up so he couldn't see it. And then every t- for how long? Months? Months. Whenever he would go to work or leave, they would uncover it and they'd start fixing the wall. And he only found out years later when they sold the house. And he saw it. And, and it, was, it was a need-to-know basis. And they operated like And I remember saying to Tony before we got married, I said, look, Let's not do that. I don't, want, I don't want that. Don't do that to me. Tell me things. Tell me. I don't want to be kind of in the dark. I don't like that. And, and so I would sit here and I would say to you, so we don't keep these secrets from each other. Except I don't know if she doesn't keep these secrets from me. <laughs> because I, how do you know when somebody's not telling you something? So, so we, the, the, the point is, the point is we, we do this. You know, you do this and, and I do this. There's always this kind of, this, this need to know. Well, Jesus does this for his disciples, as a, as a parent would for a child. There's some things he knows that, that we don't need to know that really isn't important or pertinent to what we're called and who we are called to be. And, and that's kind of what happens here in this, in this verse. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus says, when, when the disciples, before he ascends to heaven, the disciples ask him, they say, when, when are these things, when is fruition? When are you going to bring things to fulfillment? And, and Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know that the Father has sent that by His authority. The, the restoration of the kingdom, that, that's, not, that's not for you to know. And that's a little bit what happens here as well. Now, context matters. I say this all the time. So, so we've got to understand. Here's what's happening. Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem. And, and I think what, what kind of sets this in motion, this conversation, this teaching in motion, is that some of the disciples are in awe of what they see in this significant big city, if you will. These are our Galilean fishermen. These are, these are commoners, if you will, from, from rural Galilee, which is hours away by driving. So it's days away by travel, from, by foot travel from Jerusalem. So many scholars and, and biblical historians will tell you it's very likely that this trip with Jesus was the first time some of these disciples would have ever seen 
a city like Jerusalem. They would have undoubtedly heard of the temple that was part of their faith formation, but it may have been the first time they saw it. And I think that first statement of, of Mark chapter 13, it depends on how you read it and the voice in which you read it. But when it says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And, and when I read that, I read that in a voice of awe and wonder. I read that the way a child might see a skyscraper for the first time. I remember when, when Ryan was five years old, he and I, my brother lived in Chicago. And we took a trip to Chicago to spend a, a week with he, him and my, my sister-in-law, Tina. And it was the first time Ryan had seen a city like that. He was five years old. And I can remember his eyes just lighting up, just the, the enormity of, of the buildings and the, and the, the, the expanse of, of that, that remarkable city. And, and you know what? We don't all grow that. It's not just for kids. The, I went to New York for the first time a couple years ago, and I felt that same awe and wonder as you're looking up at just these buildings, you know, one world center where the, the, you can't see this. If, if it's cloudy and foggy, you're not seeing all the way to the top. I mean, it's amazing. And, and I think that's kind of what's going on. They're just, they're enamored with what they see. This, this center of their faith in this temple, which was magnificent. But Jesus isn't as impressed as they are. And he says something to them as they're marveling at this. He says, not one stone will remain on another. This will all be thrown down. And, and it's, it's, it's a prophetic word. It's, it is a word of prophecy, and it literally will come to pass about 40 years after the life of Jesus in 70 A.D. when the Romans um, destroy Jerusalem and they destroy the temple. But, but, but Jesus is, is pointing to a bigger picture, and he begins to, to teach this, these words and to speak these words of, of this, this kind of mini-apocalypse. But it leads to this statement in verse 32 that becomes really central to it. Because as he's saying all these things, and, and you've got to understand that after he says this in Jerusalem, when they get to the Mount of Olives, that James and Peter and John and Andrew, they kind of have a private conversation with Jesus, and they ask him the question that we would all ask, I think. When's it going to happen? You're saying, when's it going to happen? And, and that's really not the question that Jesus wants to answer. And so he begins to talk about these signs of the end. He talks about these birth pains. He talks about the wars, and he talks about um, these things to be weary of. But then he says something that we jumped to at verse 32, and, and we skipped a whole bunch of that, the teaching that's in the middle, and I encourage you to go read it. But, but he says this. He says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. He says, you're asking me when all this is going to happen, and you don't really need to know that. Same thing he says in Acts chapter 1. It's not something you need to know. It's not pertinent to, to, to who you are called to be. And so, so I read that, and I, and I read the entire chapter, and I go, well, then what is it that Jesus does want us to know? What are the things that are important for us? And, and there are teachings in there. There are things that we need to take away from what Jesus says that are important for us that are significant for us. And so what are the things, before we talk about the things you don't need to know, what are the things that we do need to know? And one of the things Jesus stresses, he does it in verse 5 and he does it in verse 22, which we didn't read, is this. You need to know that there will be voices that will come that will try to lead you away from me. He calls them false teachers. 
He says, those that will come in my name, those will even claim to be me. There are voices that want to constantly begin to pull you away from a Christ-centered faith. And so he's saying to us, we need to be discerning. You need to be discerning of of what you let in, the, the voices that you give authority to. Anybody who stands before you as an authority, anybody who stands before you to teach or to, to, to proclaim the word of God or to tell you what God's will is, you need to filter that carefully. And that goes for me too. Not only that I need to filter it, but you have that right to place that filter on what I speak and what I say. As Jesus says over and over, and he warns us in other places, there are these voices that want to, to pull you away. These voices that want to take authority, but they begin to lead you on a path, not of faithfulness, but away from righteousness. And, and we need to be careful of that. I'll tell you one of the litmus tests for me. One of the things that will make the bells and whistles go off in my head faster than anything is when I hear any teacher say that they have gained an insight that nobody in 2,000 years of Christian history has had before them. That is a concern for me. That is an absolute concern for me. When suddenly somebody says, God has revealed something to me that in 2,000 years of Christian teaching and scriptures and, and, and wrestling with the word of God that nobody has ever seen before. That is a step back for me. Because I will tell you what, and I don't say this to be self-deprecating, but I promise you there is nothing I have ever taught that is the first time it's ever been taught. I, 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 claim, I claim no um, voice to have ever come up with anything that nobody has thought of before me. Because I want to be rooted in a tradition based on the scriptures. But there are those voices that will come along that will tell you that there's an insight that's never been gained before. I don't want to totally discount God's ongoing revelation. But you need to be careful. You need to be, I need to be careful with those voices. And that's what Jesus says. Be careful. Be careful. So be, be discerning. Here's, here's the other thing to, to understand. And that is that be careful about where you understand God works. The, the, the statement, the, the prophecy that the temple would be torn, that the, the bricks and the stones would be thrown down, that was devastating. That was a devastating thought and would become a devastating reality in the history of the people of Israel because that was where they believed God dwelt. God was, that was God's house. And it was a significant place in their worship, and there was nothing wrong with that. But Jesus begins to teach in such a way that he wants us to understand that God, and let's contextualize it here. And I've said this before. You've heard this. God doesn't live here. God lives here. This is where God resides, in the hearts of those who are called in Christ. And God is present beyond us. God's not limited by us. But, but the structure, the, the, the man-made monuments to faith. I'm not saying they don't matter and they're not valuable tools, but, but Jesus says, be careful where you put the emphasis of your faith. And it's interesting that it would create, over the times in, in the history of Israel, it would create a crisis of faith when the temple would be overrun or destroyed. Where is God now? Well, God was never confined by that. In fact, in John chapter 4 is that familiar encounter to some of you of Jesus with the woman at the well. 
in this back and forth conversation. And at one point in that conversation, the woman asks Jesus, says, remember, she's a Samaritan. And she says, well, you know, our fathers, our, our people teach that God is here on the mountain. But you all teach that God resides in the temple in Jerusalem. Which is it? And Jesus basically, if I can paraphrase, says, neither. God is spirit and truth and hungers for those who worship in spirit and truth. And so God's never defined by our stuff. In fact, we've seen the examples of churches on the panhandle. That in the, the, the churches weren't destroyed. The buildings were. The church is still there. They just gather under a tent now. And you know what? If next week this building wasn't here, we'd be out there. Because this ain't the church. This is the church. And that's what, what he wants to understand. Don't, don't be invested. The stuff can come down. But God is at work. So, so, so he challenges to, to be alert, to, to, to think differently, and then to understand how God works. And that is that history is not cyclical. It's linear. If you take anything, and look, the apocalyptic literature in the Old and New Testament is really hard to understand. And, and teachers are very divided in how to understand it. And you've heard different things over the years. But here's what's very crystal clear. God has a plan. And God will bring his plan to fulfillment. That history is moving to the point in Revelation 21 where there will be the establishment of the new heaven and the new earth. The old will pass away. Behold, the new will come. That's God's plan. God's at work in that. And God works through our lives and through human history to bring his plan to fulfillment. But God's present and real in the midst of it. And that's truth for our lives and our individual experiences as it is for human history. God is at work in the stages of our story. I was reading a, a reflection by a, a father, Mike O'Meary, I think was his name. And, and I don't know who he is, but his reflection was powerful. And he was using this text and he was talking about the monuments he's built in his life. The, the, the structures he's built to kind of just signify the significance, um, significant relationships and experiences of a life. And he talked about how many times those monuments have been knocked down. Those stones have been overturned. He talked about the day that his wife came to him and said she wanted a divorce. And she said, my monument crumbled. And, and, she said, and he said, the day that, that my son came to me and said he wanted to join the Marines, because they had a different idea. There's nothing wrong, wrong with being a Marine. But they had a different idea for where his life was going to go. And he said... A structure crumbled. And he said the day his oldest son was killed, he said a structure crumbled. But he said in every step, in every place where rubble was left, Jesus stood. And Jesus was working in the midst of all of his experiences to bring redemption and to weave God's plan through the events of his life, even the difficult and painful events of his life. God never left the scene. That's what history teaches. That's what the, the, the scriptures teach us God doesn't leave the scene, even in the, the most difficult times. It says, in fact, it says, don't lose heart. Don't give up hope. God's still there. That's what he says. Don't, be, don't give up hope. Don't, don't be alarmed is the word that he uses. Don't be alarmed when this stuff happens. God's still there. So these are the things that we need to know because it challenges us in faith. There's so many things that we don't need to know. You know, there's, there's things throughout our lives that are just not important. There's stuff I can start spouting to you that you don't really need to know. For instance, you know that after World War II, in the celebration in Russia, Moscow ran out of vodka? You didn't need to know that, but now you do. 
okay? Do you know that everybody in this room at one point was a world record holder? Do you know that? At one point, you held the record for a split second probably, but you held the record as the youngest person on this planet. <laughs> That's true, you did. Do you know that more people die every year taking selfies than from shark attacks? <laughs> there, now you know, see? It's, look, it's, it's science. I read about it somewhere. Um, you know that the, uh, the, build, the tallest building in the world is in Saudi Arabia, uh, the Burke Khalifa. Do you know that if you're at, in Saudi Arabia at the Burke Khalifa, you can stand on the ground level and you can watch the sunset. And when the sun has set, if you get in the elevator and go to the top floor, you can watch it set again. See, there you go. That's Burke Khalifa, Saudi Arabia. I think it's in Saudi, right, isn't it, Burke Khalifa? It's, it's not here. It's somewhere else. <laughs> I got to be careful. My memory says it's Saudi Arabia. Does anybody else? Am I wrong? Okay, good. All right, good. Saudi Arabia then. Either they don't know or I'm right. So here's the point. There's a lot of stuff that's injured, but we don't need to know. Jesus says to us that, that the day, the time, you, uh, you don't need to know. You, you don't need to know. What you need to know is that God's still working. And God's still there. And then here's the thing. You need to be faithful to the things God's called us to do. That's that, that end story when he says that it, we don't know when the, when the person's coming back. We don't know when the, when the homeowner's returning. But what the expectation is, be ready. Do the things that we've been called to do. Be about the things we've been called to be about. Be faithful. Be found busy. Be watchful, but be ready. Be doing those things. So, so be about the things we're called to do, the caring for others, the loving others, the living into the good news and the grace of Jesus Christ, the carrying the love of Jesus to the world. Be doing. Be busy when he shows up. You ever pretend to be busy when somebody came? Remember in high school, teacher would come in, you'd act like you were busy? Okay, don't act like it. Do it. Be busy. Be busy because that's what we need to know. God's there. God's working. He's present in the hearts of those who worship him in spirit and truth, be busy and be faithful to those things. That's what we need to know. A lot of stuff we don't need to know. When it's going to happen, we don't need to know. But that we're ready and busy and trusting in the one whose hand is at work through all of human history, that we do need to know. So be ready, be busy, and be about what Christ has called us to be. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we thank you that, that you have our best interests in mind. And you teach us and you tell us and you share with us those things that we need to know to be mindful, to be watchful, to be alert. But then you call us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful, to obedient to your call, to serve you until the day comes when we either step into glory, whether that be by your coming or be by the natural progression of life. Make us faithful in all things. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.